Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. This is episode 19. This episode of the podcast is one that was always going to happen eventually. In my search for people who have something to offer our ongoing conversation about leadership, today's guest, someone who's a good friend and someone I spend a lot of time with, was almost too obvious a choice. I guess I felt I had to get a few episodes under my belt to give the show some professional credibility before I recruited someone so close to home. Trent Patton is one of Australia's leading age group triathlon coaches. In 2008, after working with elite swimmers for a number of years, Trent began coaching a small squad of about 15 triathletes. Now, just under eight years later, Red Dog Triathlon Training has more than 300 active members. They've produced a handful of world champions, a bunch of national champions, and too many age group winners to count. And, just as importantly for Trent as a coach, he's mentored hundreds of novices through the trials and tribulations of their very first triathlon. I don't do triathlon, but occasionally I go and have a swim in Trent's squad, and have done for more than 10 years. And it's always amazed me that for the people I share a lane with, almost all of whom are busy professionals with full-time jobs and families, swimming is just a third of the training they do. These incredibly committed athletes are up before the sun six mornings a week, whether it's for a run session on the track, a long ride on a Saturday, or some other unthinkable morning activity. And then, three or four nights a week, they head to the pool to swim for an hour. They each have their own reasons for being there, their own motivations, their own goals. And central to each of their stories, their development of athletes, their journey to their goal, is Trent, playing the role of motivator. During the chat you're about to hear, we talk about Trent's philosophy on coaching, his rare ability to motivate individuals. We talk about the lessons he learned from elite swimming, his transition to age group triathletes, and he steps us through a week in the life of training. He also tells us about that moment he realized he was no longer just a coach, but a small businessman too. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Trent Patton. Brent Patton, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. G'day. Master, motivator, triathlon coach, and small businessman. You are all those things, but in what order? Oh, look, I think most importantly, I'm a triathlon coach. Uh, the motivation comes as a result of what I do day to day. And uh, small business operator, yes, but I've definitely got a good team around me that looks after the business side of things so I can focus on the coaching, which is where my passion lies. So Trent, you head up one of the most successful triathlon clubs in Australia, and we'll talk about the detail of Red Dog Triathlon later. But I want to start with some background on your coaching career, because as you say, you are a coach first and foremost. You're a triathlon coach these days, but you didn't start that way. You started as a swim coach with Rick van der Zandt, straight out of school, I believe, as, as Rick's assistant over there at Yoronga Park. Uh, Rick has always had a smattering of Olympians, a host of Commonwealth Games athletes. You were introduced to that scene very early in your coaching career. What did you learn from that experience? Yeah, I learned a lot from Rick in the uh, early years of my coaching development. I think probably the best lessons I learned were the fact that he treated everyone as equals. You know, it was one thing that surprised me the first day on pool deck with Rick and I uh, walked in you know, there's people like Rebecca Brown, who was the world record holder at the time for 200 breasts, Rob Vanderzant, who went on to be uh, Sydney 2000 Olympian. And those people were just training with the main squad. They were getting the same level of attention as other people within the squad. And Rick really encouraged me that to run a good squad, it needed to be inclusive. And for a long time, your goal as a head coach was to coach Olympians. Your business now is very different from that. You almost exclusively coach age group triathletes. Do you ever feel unfulfilled at not realising that original dream? I definitely don't feel unfulfilled. I think when I started coaching, my main motivation was to maximise individual potential. 
you know, I do a good job with that, whether they're age groupers, whether they're people just starting out in the sport or whether they're people looking to take that next step from, you know, being a successful age group competitor, uh, moving into that professional ranks. I got the opportunity to go on the Paralympic team in 2000 and that was a really good experience, but I did walk away from that experience thinking that there was probably, you know, more to it than just dealing with those high performance athletes. I've always been aware that that experience for you with the Paralympians was a a real watershed moment in your coaching career. What was it about that experience that had such a a huge impact on you? I think it was just the dynamics of the group. I went away overseas with uh, half a dozen coaches and about 40 swimmers, and those swimmers ranged uh, in level of disability. You know, we were allocated a small group to work with each and within my group I had kids from all different categories of disability and that was something that I found managing that group uh, was a a fun and exciting challenge you know while you're traveling overseas and checking into different hotels and organizing transport for those athletes to and from the pool. So when you were still strictly a, a swim coach you must have some great memories of watching a youngster someone in their early to mid teens grow, get bigger and stronger and faster and start to compete at higher and higher levels. Can you think of of any examples in particular where you really watched one individual take those steps through growth and dedication to their their training and achieve the goals that maybe they didn't even dream they they should have in the first place? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, one of the young girls I was coaching at the time, uh, Kelly Waite, who went on to win a bronze medal at the Commonwealth Games, you know, she moved fairly quickly from the junior squad which I was looking after into the bottom end of the senior group and then within 18 months she was selected for her first uh, Australian Open team. That was an experience that was fantastic. Her parents were active members within the club and I think she really was uh, I guess the, the type of athlete that you enjoy working with, somebody who follows everything you put forward to the letter and sees the benefits of doing that. In the time that I've been swimming with you, and sometimes we train exclusively with adults, but back in the early days, we used to train with the kids a little bit as well. And it always amazed me at just how young an age girls in particular reach their peak of swimming. Tell us a little bit about what you expect from boys and girls in terms of reaching their peak in swimming, the the way they grow and the way that growth parallels the improvement in their performance. I think generally the girls mature at an earlier age. They also need to get a lot of work into them. And I think that's something as a coach, you generally want to push the girls a little bit earlier. The guys, I think, you know, obviously their physical maturation takes a little bit longer. I think the key thing for them is just enjoying the sport, staying involved. And then obviously when they go through puberty, they're in a much better position to move forward with whichever sport they choose. When you talk about getting a lot of work into them at a young age, can you just describe for some listeners who might be foreign to the swimming world, the extent to which young kids train when they're in a a serious swim squad? So I think generally speaking, the girls would be looking to do anywhere from eight to 11 sessions a week. Those sessions, depending on other commitments would last from an hour and a half to two hours. The boys, you could probably hold them back a little bit. They might do five to eight sessions a week uh, and then perhaps look to increase that as they finish school. That's just incredible to imagine. For those of us who grew up playing cricket or rugby or, or most team sports, the idea that you might go to training for two hours at a pop 11 times a week is just incredible. For those kids in those squads, does most of the family life revolve around the swimming of of that one child? Yeah, definitely. I think it's such a big bind for parents, swimming, and there's other sports as well, which have, you know, similar training expectations. And I think that's perhaps something that as a young coach, you really need to be aware of and you need to manage is the parents' expectations as they're investing a fair amount of time and money into their kids' chosen sport. You must have seen some kids come and go who had a heap of talent, but for whom, and like for most of us, 10 or 11 sessions a week in the pool was just too much, and they they weren't willing to invest that type of commitment. 
Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of talented kids you see come through a program who don't make it. And I think most coaches will tell you that they'd much prefer to work with a kid who has a good work ethic and grounding over a talented kid. So those were your early days as a coach, as strictly a swim coach, and you now run what I guess you could argue to be one of the most successful triathlon clubs in Australia. Tell us how it got started, how it began as a small squad and has grown to the scale that it is today. So Red Dog started with a couple of close mates of mine who were looking to get back into health and fitness uh, in their late 20s, early 30s. And I invested a lot of time in those guys and they saw some outstanding results. As a byproduct of those outstanding results, people started inquiring about training with Red Dog and the squad's grown from there. So what scale are we talking with the squad now? You started back in 2008. How many athletes are we talking now? Uh, so we've probably gone from you know a core group of about 15 athletes back in 2008 up to now, there's 300 active members. So you started your squad with 15 athletes, and these days, five or six years on, oh, it's getting seven years on now, when you go to the biggest triathlons in Australia, and that's Noosa, the biggest triathlon in the Southern Hemisphere, Mooloolaba, not far behind, the Red Dog Triathlon Racing Kit is the most recognisable kit out there on the road. Did you ever think, when you started way back in 2008, that your squad would rise to this kind of standard? No, I never expected it to be as recognisable. I was confident in my ability to coach and my desire to get the best out of the athletes who I were coaching. So I guess that's a logical progression in some respects. So when you transitioned from training swimmers to training triathletes, and it wasn't just a change from swimming to triathlon, it was a change from predominantly kids to predominantly adults. Tell us about the kind of changes that you had to make as a coach. Is there a huge amount of difference in training someone to swim at a high level in the pool compared with getting someone to be able to swim, ride and run? I think the fundamentals of coaching are all very similar. I think you need to be passionate about what you do, show an interest in your athletes and challenge them to be better each time they come to training, whether that's kids or adults. I think the basics are pretty much the same. And with all of your experience prior to that being in the pool, what gave you the confidence to know that you could do have the same kind of effect on athletes in, in the riding and the running part of triathlon? Well, I always uh, came from a triathlon background before I started swim coaching. And so I had, you know, some ideas around what I thought was necessary with regards to bike and run training. I guess I was blessed with a number of good athletes in my care when I first started coaching and I could bring the best out of them, which helped to generate a bit of buzz around the squad and uh, encourage more athletes to get on board. So tell us about that buzz. The growth that you've enjoyed over that period of time is, is fairly astronomical in a business sense. What brings new athletes to your squad? Are you, you're, you're a squad that, that mixes some really elite athletes. You have some of the best age groupers in the country, and you also are happy to take on beginners. And at any one time, you have a whole host of beginners, people who are aiming for their first triathlon. What draws people of all ranges to your club? I think it's the culture, the environment that we create. We're very social. We like to work hard. We like to play hard. And I think that's appealing to most people. At the end of the day, if you're not enjoying what you do, you're less likely to do it. And when it comes to training, if you're less likely to do it, you're less likely to see the rewards that come from the hard work. So you're known amongst the squad and amongst people who know you as a master motivator. First of all, are you aware of that? that reputation that you have. Do you think it is the strongest part of your skill set? And um, what is it about the way that you motivate people? What do you know about tapping into people that most people don't get? I, I think my ability to motivate individuals is one of my strong suits. I think the key is just to identify what motivates the individual and work within those realms. For some people, it may be weight loss. For other people, it may be impending dates like weddings or children maybe events. I think the key thing is to identify with the individual in front of you what their motivation is and then trigger that motivation each time they come to training. So obviously everyone in your squad is an individual. Everyone's very different. But when you think about 
people and the way they're motivated and why they're there at your squad, do, do they form categories in your mind? Are there chunks of, of athletes that you deal with and that share similar traits? Yeah, definitely. I think that you can always categorise people into certain groups. I think, you know, we've got a really big group of social athletes who enjoy coming along the training to stay fit and healthy and enjoy the social aspects associated with training, like catching up for coffee or having dinner after a session. And we've also got a bunch of performance athletes who are coming because they enjoy the competitive environment and they're looking to get the best out of themselves uh, in the time they have. Physio, nutritionist, psychologist, mechanic, motivator, counsellor, equipment manager, social coordinator. They're just some of the roles that I see you play in people's lives as, as a coach. How varied are the demands placed on you by the people that you coach? Yeah, I think people's expectations of me are very greatly. Some people come to me and they want me to take them to that next level from a performance point of view. Some people come to me and they want me to motivate them to come to training. And other people come to me because their friends train with the squad and they've heard it's a fun and enjoyable environment. So I guess, again, I talk to the individuals about what they hope to get from joining the squad and then I work towards helping them achieve those goals. And, and as a coach, and as you've learned through your swimming career and, and through your building your own business as a triathlon coach, what do you know now that you didn't know five years ago or 10 years ago or way back when you started coaching with Rick? If you could visit yourself, your 20-year-old your self, and, and give yourself a couple of pieces of advice as a coach, what would they be? I think one of the uh, most important things I've learned over the last few years is to establish some clear boundaries and expectations, both for myself and for members of my squad. I think it's really important for me to be clear and consistent in what I expect of individuals and for them to understand that and respect my needs with regards to that. I think in isolation, some of the requests I see receive are fair and reasonable. However, I need to be conscious of the fact I may get the same question asked of me by the next 30 people and whether I can accommodate the next 30 people who ask that same question will sometimes dictate my decision, which in isolation was quite fair and reasonable. So I think what you're getting at there is that for people who invest all that time and energy in training as a triathlete, we've acknowledged that, of course, they're all very different people. Some of them expect a lot from their coach and they almost expect you to be putting in the effort and the energy into them as they're putting into training themselves, forgetting, of course, that you've got 300 athletes. Is that how it kind of ends up for you as a coach? Yeah, definitely. There's some people who come into the squad and, you know, their expectations of me are quite high and I can appreciate that because they've invested a lot of time and money, money and energy into what they do and they're just trying to squeeze every last ounce out of themselves now that's fine you know I'll try to accommodate those people where I can but sometimes I just have to remind them that as you said I've got a number of active members on the books and if I was to devote that much time energy and attention to all of those members uh, I'd probably lose sight of the bigger picture and I'm guessing like anything else, there would be people who are high maintenance and there would be people who are low maintenance. I'm, I'm imagining you have a lot of guys and girls that come through your squad who ask very little of you, but to, to give me the set and give me a place to come and train and give me people to, to do it with. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm always dealing with that full spectrum of personalities. You've got some people who are just happy to come along and do the sessions. And then you've got other people who obviously expect a little bit more, whether that be before, during or after the sessions. Where I can, I'll accommodate those people, but uh, sometimes I have to remind them of my situation and the fact that I need to be investing a fair amount of time and energy in the squad as a whole and not just focusing on one or two individuals. For those who aren't involved in triathlon, I think it would come across as a really intense type of sport. People from outside would guess that those who choose to participate are are fairly high intensity individuals to start with. Is that true or is that an unfair generalisation? I think that's probably an unfair generalisation. There's a lot of people who move into the sport just to do one swim, one bike and one run session a week because they like the variety that triathlon affords them. 
Uh, but yeah, you do have some people who just dive headfirst into it and, you know, they want to swim, bike and run every day, seven days a week. Those people I obviously try to remind that, you know, look, we're doing this for fun and enjoyment and it's, you know, best that we sort of, you know, slowly work our way into things. So we've talked about the demands on you as a triathlon coach. What about the rewards? What do you get out of coaching athletes? What keeps you doing it? I think I get a lot of satisfaction out of seeing people improve. I get a lot of satisfaction out of seeing people do things that they didn't think they were capable of doing. And that might be, you know, someone doing their first triathlon or someone doing their 31st triathlon who's evolved from a beginner in the squad through that intermediate group and then now racing for the title in their age group at the Noosa Triathlon. Do you really get the same kind of joy out of out of that, the way that you just described it, watching someone do their first triathlon compared to one of the that little stable you have of quite elite age group athletes who are competing for their to, to win their age group at the Noosa Tri? Is, is it is it really true, or do you have a a little bit of a leaning towards those higher end athletes who are who are winning? No, look, I think I get just as much satisfaction from the beginners as I do from the you know, people who are winning their age group, it's a different type of satisfaction when you see them achieve their goals. Obviously, the ones who are winning their age group have generally been involved in the squad uh, for a longer period of time, and hence you've perhaps built up a stronger rapport with them. But, you know, as a coach, I think quite often you have goosebump moments, and, uh, you know, I could honestly say I've had goosebump moments with first-timers, with people who are just training for their wedding day and people who are looking to win their age group. What's a goosebump moment? Something Is it a moment when you see someone achieve beyond what they thought they might? Yeah, I think so. When you see somebody come up to you after an event with tears in their eyes and um, give you a big hug and say, hey, never thought I could do that. Thanks for all your encouragement. That's a pretty satisfying moment as a coach. So Trent, I want to ask you a little bit about your philosophy of coaching. I imagine that there's a balance between the science of coaching and personal style that differentiates you from other coaches. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts there. Yes, I think there's two styles of coaching. You've got the art of coaching and the science of coaching. I guess I lean a little bit more towards the art of coaching. I think obviously I've got a good understanding of the science, but for me, when you're dealing with people on a personal level, Really, it's about the interaction you have with that individual and your ability to get the best out of them on the day. And that's something that I really enjoy, you know, encouraging somebody to move up a lane in the pool or challenging somebody to take an extra couple of seconds off their repeats they're doing at the track. That's something that I really enjoy. They don't need to know the science behind that request. I think they just need to follow my lead and uh, execute the session to the best of their ability. Are there athletes that you coach who do want to know more about the nuts and the bolts and the science who, who maybe even seem to you as though they need a different type of coach, someone who is much more about the numbers than you are. So you've acknowledged that there's the science and the art, you understand the science, but you focus on the art. I guess there's coaches out there who, who understand the art, but focus on the science. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a very good question. And uh, I must be honest and say there is probably athletes out there who really do enjoy the science of it all. And especially now with all of the training tools that are accessible to people and the different metrics that they can measure through their watches and power meters and all the rest of it. And I think that, yeah, those people definitely enjoy the science and I'm happy to converse with them about those things However, I just don't think that that's the be-all and end-all for age group athletes. I have a concern that getting too bogged down with numbers, uh, they run the risk of losing their enjoyment for the sport. I think there's a lot to be said for showing up on your day on the day and giving it your best. And uh, that's what I try to do is I try to get the best out of each individual every time they come to a session. So for those listeners who, who have never trained in triathlon, I would love you to talk us through the average kind of swim session or the and the average kind of ride session and run session. How do you go about, on a very practical level, coaching triathletes? You obviously do your swim coaching at the pool. 
Where do you do your ride coaching and your run coaching? What's it all look like? Okay, so we start with the swim. Generally speaking, we've got four lanes and I'll just break the people up into the lanes depending on their level of ability and uh, fitness and I'll deliver the session. Obviously, people in the fast lane may do a little bit more on a harder cycle than the people who are in the slow lane. But I generally try to keep the group together for the warm-up. I'll then give them their main set. They all finish the main set at roughly the same time, and then I'll deliver the warm-down to them. Throughout the main set, I try to offer them technical advice. I try to give them encouragement with regards to the effort that they're putting in or a technical element that they've been asked to focus on and just send them home happy and feeling like they've achieved something. I really believe it's important at each session to speak to each individual on both a personal and a professional level. So I try to touch base with them you know, while they're warming up and ask them how their day was, ask them how their wife is, ask them how their job is, just to get a bit of a feel for where they're at. And then once we start the main set, it's down to business and I'm trying to talk to them about a technical aspect or encouraging them to put a little bit more effort in or in some cases, a little bit less effort in. So they're divided into ability kind of lanes and I'm, I'm guessing it's the goal of people to move up the lanes and get themselves into the next fastest lane as they develop as a, an athlete, get a little bit fitter. Yeah, that's most people's goal is to see progression, but some people are quite happy in their environment and I've had people present that to me before that, hey Trent, look, I'm really happy here, I've just come down to blow off a bit of steam at lunchtime and I'll leave them to go about their business and head back to work feeling better for the experience. So you get a sense of the people who are there for the camaraderie and just being active as opposed to those who are really competitive within themselves and are looking to get better all the time. Yeah, most definitely. It's something that I try to identify early on in the piece. I want to know whether they're looking for improvement or whether they're just looking to improve their fitness. There's a big difference there. And obviously, if someone who's just there looking to improve their fitness, you know, wants to sit out 100 you know, I'll quite happily accommodate that. Whereas if they're they're looking to improve their performance, you know, I'm probably not going to be as uh, accommodating. That's funny. That's a really nice way to put it. You're not going to be as accommodating to someone who, who has got ambitious goals, who decides to sit out a lap or two. When you say you're not going to be as accommodating, what do you actually do? Well, look, I think having a good, honest conversation with the individuals about ensuring that they're goals uh, matched by their work ethic is really important. I think as individ- as adults, we know quite well what's expected of us. And I think there's no point muddying the waters there. I've definitely, definitely told people in the past that I think they're falling short of the mark in terms of their output versus their expectations. And I think that's one of the things that I pride myself on as a coach. I'm not going to mince words. I'm going to tell people exactly what I think and I'm not going to be right all the time but I think more often than not they can walk away and say well he was fair and reasonable today. It's a curious concept isn't it because these are people who are adults they've been to work all day they're choosing to come and they pay you to come yet you give them a give them a talking to when you don't think they're putting in but of course that's your job and you wouldn't be doing your job if you didn't do that. Yeah, I agree. I think I'd be doing a disservice to some people if I let them plot up and down the pool and uh, not get the most out of themselves at that session. And then I guess have to have a discussion with them down the track about why they weren't achieving their goals. I think I've got to nip it in the bud before it becomes a bad habit. But I bet there are coaches who fall into the trap of just making things a a little bit too easy because of the dynamics I explained before. Oh, look, I think there's definitely coaches who would do that. I pride myself on setting standards and enforcing those standards. I think if I've asked somebody to do something and they're not meeting my expectations, I need to have a conversation with them about that and find out why they're not meeting my expectations. And sometimes there's good reasons and other times there's not. And I need to then be able to decide whether to just let that one slide or whether to you know, make sure I uh, initiate change. Have you ever had horrible, embarrassing moments where you give someone a serve because their effort's not matching their ambition and then they give you a reason that just knocks you knocks you backwards and makes you feel terrible about giving them a serve? Oh, definitely. And I wouldn't say I give people a serve, but I've had some fairly robust conversations with people at times and 
probably not understood the full dynamic of what was going on. And uh, yeah, I think that that's part and parcel of coaching. It's just like any relationship, you're going to have your hiccups along the way. But I think the key thing is keeping those lines of communication open with your athletes and, you know, giving them the opportunity to voice their opinion and uh, present their side of the story because sometimes things aren't always as they seem. So we're talking through what training looks like on a very practical level. We're, we're, we're still at swimming. And just before we move off swimming, I want to just point out to the listeners that we're talking about adults who are leaving work to rush to a swim squad. So they go have a swim for an hour during the working day or people who are coming from work and heading to the pool before they go home. What kind of distances are these athletes swimming? Well, over an hour, I think most of the group are swimming anywhere from two to four Ks, depending on the nature of the set that's being delivered. And and I suppose their ability level as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. So generally speaking, the people getting the two Ks done are over in lane one and the people getting four Ks done are over in lane four. All right. So we're, that's that's what swimming looks like. And that happens a few nights a week. And I guess if... Uh, a tri- well, how, how many sessions ha- does a, a, a decent level age group triathlete do a week across the whole week? Oh, look, I think the average age group triathlete in my squad would be doing two to three swim sessions a week. You know, again, I think if they're looking to improve, they probably need to be getting three to four. And if they're just looking to maintain the standard they're at, then they're probably two to three sessions is fine. So anywhere between two and four times a week, they're turning up to do that at the pool and then... they've got to get on top of their riding as well. So what does riding training look like? I imagine that's a lot different to the swimming. Yeah, riding is a little bit different to swimming. Obviously, just the nature of it. Swimming's in a confined environment there where you've got a pool and you can allocate lanes. With cycling, we generally have to break the groups up. So we often do that according to uh, speed and level of ability. So generally speaking, we'd have three groups on a ride and... They may be uh, expected to do, you know, 50 to 60 Ks if they're in group one. They may be expected to do 60 to 80 Ks if they're in group two. And then group three, they may be looking to get through 80 Ks or more or within that same time frame. So you obviously can't be with all three groups. How do you divide your time as the coach? Yeah, so we we generally separate the uh, rides into, into three rides. So we have a coach ride on a Wednesday morning, which we try to set up on a looped course. So the individuals go out and, uh, you know, the stronger riders might get through eight loops. The next group might get through six and then the other group may get through four. And as a coach, uh, I'll position myself, you know, around the course at different points, you know, giving feedback or advice uh, or I'll, you know, be on the bike riding alongside some of the riders, you know, offering some coaching or encouragement if it's required. On a Saturday, we uh, break up into groups. And as I mentioned earlier, the groups are governed on the pace the riders can hold. The nature of that ride's generally easy. And uh, I have a, a, a strong dependency within those rides on some of my more experienced squad members. They take a leadership role within the group. Above all else, one of the things I try to do with all of my rides is to provide a safe and social environment for people. So we all see people dressed in lycra at the coffee shop on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning when we go and grab a coffee. But what you don't see is the fact that all those people got up at five in the morning and some of them have ridden up to 100 and 120 kilometres before they go and have a coffee. It's extraordinary distance. And for those of us who don't ride a bike, It seems remarkable that on a Saturday morning, you might get on your bike and ride to, you know, ride 150 kilometres away. Some people from Brisbane might ride down the coast. Yeah, that's true. And it is uh, quite funny when you're talking to somebody at the coffee shop at 8am and uh, they say, oh, you know, what have you been up to this morning? And you tell them that you've ridden down the coast and back and they almost fall over. So we were talking earlier, your, your athletes are likely to swim anything between two and four times a week. They're likely to go on a long ride on a Saturday or a Sunday and a a shorter ride on a Wednesday morning. How many other riding sessions will they do during the week? Yeah, so we've got an indoor session uh, where basically people show up, they set their bike up on an A-frame and uh, the coach prescribes a set 
it's quite good. It's actually like playing a computer game. They can see all of their metrics up on a screen in front of them and they can race the person beside them or the person behind them. And that's probably one of our more popular sessions each week. Uh, it's a very safe environment for people. You know, they don't feel concerned about, you know, being dropped off the back of the bunch or they've got no worries about cars or, you know, mechanical issues thwarting their session. So three riding sessions a week, two to four swim sessions, we're, we're already up to um, five, six, seven, eight sessions a week for these athletes who are normal people who go to work every day like the rest of us. They still haven't been for a run yet. Tell us about the way that they prepare for their run leg. Okay, so once again, you know, most people are looking to do two to three run sessions a week. Uh, we start the week off with the Tuesday morning track session. It's probably one of the most popular sessions uh, I coach. And I think, again, the reason is it's inclusive. Whether it's the fastest person in the squad or the slowest person in the squad, they're all out there doing their best together. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. On a Thursday, we do a longer run and generally the group breaks up and the sessions prescribed and obviously the faster runners get a little bit further down the path than the slower runners but everybody meets up following the run and gets together for breakfast which is a highlight for most people in the squad getting to interact socially following a good hard session so the run on the track is probably the place where they get to see the most of each other as as fellow athletes is that fair to say yeah, definitely. And I think uh, that's why it's such a popular session. You know, they get to see some of our younger athletes who are really performing at a high level and compare themselves to those athletes. And I think it's great that, you know, they get to interact on that level regardless of ability. I bet there's a lot of learning that goes on amongst the athletes. You're obviously the coach and the, the person who's guiding the, the sessions and, and leading the group in general, but I bet some of the more experienced or the more capable athletes are helping out the, the less, and some of the lesser so are helping out the more experienced athletes by just showing how doggedly de determined they are to, to keep training and, and keep going with the session. Yeah, definitely. I think it's one of the beauties of the squad is that the best swimmer may not be the best runner and definitely not the best cyclist. So, you know, people are interacting on all different levels at each session. And it's quite good to see, you know, one of the better swimmers in our squad being humbled by the way that people run laps around him at the track. It's a remarkable commitment. And I've said it already in this chat, the idea that people who, who work in a job like the rest of us then invest all of this time and energy in, into that kind of training. Do, do you admire the people who come and train with you and, and do turn up to the two to three to four swim sessions and the three run sessions and the three bike sessions? Oh, definitely. I admire their commitment. I think it's amazing what some people squeeze into a day. You know, we're talking about people that have got full-time jobs, family commitments, social commitments, and they manage to squeeze in the training commitments expected of them to be, you know, making big steps forward and progressing as triathletes. It's absolutely fantastic. And it's something that, you know, I really enjoy about the squad is helping those people, you know, manage their time efficiently so that they can get the best out of themselves with what limited time they have. With that level of commitment, does it come in cycles? I'm guessing that someone can't stay committed to that type of routine year in, year out for however, you know, for a five-year period. Yeah, that's correct. It does come in cycles. And generally, I see people working towards a goal race. And then once they have, you know, achieved that goal race, completed it, and they're happy, generally, they'll have a little bit of downtime and uh, move on to the next challenge. And I think that's the beauty of triathlon is that there's such a, you know, big evolution from, you know, entry level triathlon all the way up to Ironman now. So, you know, it's people are working through and just ticking each box off. And for some people that evolution might happen over a three year period. And for others, it might, it may take 10 years, you know, as they progress from, you know, their first sprint distance triathlon through to Olympic, through to half Ironman and then finishing off that cycle with an Ironman, it's great. And as the, the efforts of individual athletes ebb and flow with their commitment of time and energy, do you also try and set club goals so that 
a lot of people at the same time are, are really peaking with the amount of effort they're putting in. So they're, they're doing it together and there's that camaraderie of training with everyone aiming towards the same event. Yeah, definitely. So I generally try to select a couple of events and encourage the majority of members to participate in those events. I think that training in a group provides so many benefits for the individual. So we're currently working towards the Port Macquarie 70.3 and Ironman event on the 1st of May and that's really exciting. We've got a lot of people who are doing their first Ironman which is a huge commitment from a training point of view. They're expected to be doing anywhere from 12 to 20 hours of training a week in preparation for that event and you know having to go and do that by yourself would be quite difficult but you know when you've got all your mates encouraging you it makes that challenge a whole lot more enjoyable. So we've talked about you as a coach and we've talked about the nature of a triathlon squad of the athletes in it and the, the kind of schedule of training that they have. I'm also really interested in the triathlon squad as a business. You seem to get into triathlon at a perfect time and as a sport, it's booming. The participation rates have been growing for over a decade now. You got into it in 2008. You have developed this booming business with a huge squad that, as I say, is the most recognisable squad at the major triathlons across Australia. Was there a moment when you realised that you were no longer just a coach? You were a small businessman? Yeah, definitely. I think as the squad grew, I was finding it harder and harder to run the business and I was really fortunate that when I started out, I had uh, a couple of people helping me and those people as the squad grew took on greater responsibility. I don't know where I'd be without my admin lady, Joe. She keeps the ship afloat and helps me or enables me to be able to focus on what I enjoy, which is the coaching side of things. Was that a lesson that you had to learn to to pinpoint what it was that you were in the business for? You were in the business to be a coach, not to be an admin person. Was there a lesson in there somewhere that, that helped you understand that, hey, that that's the work I need to outsource so I can stay true to, to my true talents and skills? Yeah, there was a uh, light bulb moment. I think I walked into squad one day and I'd had a had a few issues with some administrative matters and I walked out of that session knowing that I hadn't delivered the best session for my athletes and I thought to myself well I don't enjoy that side of the business so I really need to look at outsourcing that work and taking that load off me so that I can focus on doing the things that I enjoy and that I'm good at and at the end of the day what people are paying me for. I think I just became aware of the fact that the business was growing so rapidly that I couldn't manage everything myself. And so engaging people around me to look after certain areas of my business, I still like to keep a handle on those things, but I don't need to be doing them day in, day out. And that's where I feel I've got a great group of professionals around me, you know, from massage therapists to physios to podiatrists looking after the best interests of my athletes so that they're in great shape when they come to me for the sessions. Because it's not just a case now that you're outsourcing your administration work. You're, of course, grown so big that you've got parallel squads going on at the same time when you can't be everywhere at once. You're actually having to outsource some of the coaching. Was that a big step to take for you, for someone who who is a coach? That That's the highlight act of, of your business to pass that off to other people, was that a difficult step? Yeah, it was a difficult step. People joined the squad to be coached by me and obviously some of the sessions I coached were at saturation point. So I decided to provide people with options, get some staff on board who were just as enthusiastic and passionate about coaching as I was. And I feel that they deliver the same service that I do to my athletes now. And that's really, really good for my business and something that I'm really proud of is to help mentor these coaches who are taking care of my athletes running those parallel sessions. So it's allowed your business to grow. Is that growth still going on? Is Do you think you will continue to add athletes to the books in the, in the same way that you had over the first eight years? Yeah, look, I think there's uh, always going to be a steady growth uh, through the squad. 
We've added red pups, so now we have an option for parents who've got young kids to come and get involved, and I think that's something that you know is really exciting. I think people who joined the squad back in 2008 who have you know had kids you know since and you know in a couple of years those kids are going to be involved in health and fitness in line with what their parents are doing and I think that's pretty exciting. So a second generation of triathletes hey? Yeah looking towards the second generation of triathletes and uh, you know giving the parents the opportunity to continue what they love doing and having an option for their kids to get involved too. So am I right in saying that you got into triathlon at a really fantastic time for the sport? And does triathlon continue to grow? Yeah, I think uh, I got into it at the right time. I remember the 2009 Age Group World Championships were on the Gold Coast, which saw a massive influx of people to the sport. And I just think that that's continuing to grow. Triathlon's a sport that everybody can do. Most people at some stage in their life have been to the pool for a swim, run cross country at school, or been out on a bike. And so they've all got some grounding in the sport of triathlon. And while they may arrive to me with experience in swimming and a little bit in running, you know, being able to then bring them up to speed and give them the confidence to compete in an event uh, because their cycling's developed to the same level is is excellent. So what's the future for you, Trent? Can you really imagine that you will continue to be a coach for the rest of your career, getting up at 4.30 in the morning or five at the latest, being on pool deck, being at the track, getting on the bike? Is that something that you see yourself doing long-term? Yeah, definitely. I think when you love your job, you never work a day in your life. And I enjoy bouncing out of bed and, you know, going to see people at training and challenging them to get the best out of themselves. I can't see that changing in the near future and I do appreciate that, you know, as I get older, perhaps the age group of the squad will will get older as well and that's something that, you know, I'm quite happy to grow old with my members. That's a nice thought, grow old with your members. Now, during your time in Brisbane, dominating the triathlon scene, it has to be said, you have seen your share of competitors come and go. Triathlon is a growing sport and there have been people who have wanted to get into it for a business purpose. And I've always thought that part of the success of your business was that you went from something small and grew a culture that happened to get big, but it was always the culture that stayed strong. And you've seen competitors come along and try and take it from a different approach with a top-down with, with top approach, come in with a business model, start big and the people will come. Have you observed it the same way as I have and have you been surprised to see those those attempts fail. Yeah, I have seen it the way you have and uh, I'm not surprised to see those attempts fail. I think my business has grown because I'm passionate about the sport and I want to see my members improve. And I think that's the key motivator for me as a coach. It's not money, you know, I've got to pinch myself at times, you know, with the success of my business. As I said earlier, I never you know, set out to have 300 active members. All I ever wanted to do was provide a high level of service for the people in my care. And, you know, I've developed strategies along the way that enable me to continue to develop, to continue to provide that high level of service for my athletes, regardless of how many people are attending each session. But I would guess if you ask some of those competitors how they went about it, they would say that they're, they're trying to provide a high level of service to their athletes as well. So what's been different about you? Well, maybe the question really is, is what's been different about them? What have they done differently? As you, you know, I know that at different times you've shared venues with them while training. What have you seen that made you feel comfortable that you weren't in threat? Oh, look, I think I've always kept my eyes on my own work and I just try to provide a consistent high level of service for my members and I'm confident that if I'm providing a consistent high level of service to my members they're going to enjoy coming training and they're going to want to come back Uh, you know I try to engage with every individual I coach on both a personal and professional level at each session and I think that that's something that's really important you know each of those people you know come to me for 
advice and, and, and guidance. And if I can, you know, provide them advice on life or training or anything, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have a chat to them and give them, give them my time. All right. Now, last question before we get to my, my little final series of questions. What's one thing that you suspect most people who train with you don't know about you? They see you every day. Some of them see you up to seven, eight times a week. But what do they not know about you as a person? I think probably the one thing they don't know about me is the work I do behind the scenes to keep the ball rolling. I think most people show up to a session and it's great. You know, they enjoy the environment that's being created for them and that's competitive, it's social, and there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to make that happen. Okay, now I always finish my interviews with the same four questions. You don't have these ones, I haven't told you about them. Question number one, tell me about the Friday night you most look forward to. Is it a big party with lots of people you know, or an intimate dinner with your closest friends? Oh, I'd be lying if I didn't say it was a big party. All right, yeah, correct. Now tell me, are you more likely to get bogged down in the detail or caught daydreaming? Ooh, that's a tough one. I'd say it depends on the topic of conversation. Got to choose one. More likely, detail or dreaming? Ah, uh, look, I'd say I'd probably get caught dreaming. Really? All right, interesting. In terms of making decisions, are you a slave to a rational thought process or do you make decisions based on emotion? No, I think I'm a slave to rational thought. Coaching the number of people I do, I really need to keep my emotions in check because people present to me in all different states. And I think if I can be consistent in my mode of delivery, it helps them. Excellent. And very last question. You're going on a road trip. Do you like to book the hotels, check the route and know exactly where you're going? Or do you just get in the car and drive? I get in the car and drive and let somebody else book the hotels and direct the route. Good answer. Trent Patton, Red Dog Triathlon Training. Thank you so much for joining me on the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you, Dave. And that was Trent Patton. What's most remarkable about Trent is his ability to tap into the things that motivates every one of the hundreds of adults he coaches. He has a passion for watching people reach their goal and is very clear on the role he plays in helping them get there. On the Lessons Learned page from this podcast, I'll share the lessons I took from this conversation with Trent. I'll also provide some links to where you can find him if you want to learn a little more about triathlon or the Red Dog Squad. You'll find it on the Team Guru website. That's teams with an S dot guru forward slash podcast. You can like us on Facebook and share your thoughts about this episode. We're on iTunes and SoundCloud. Subscribe, follow, click, like, all that kind of stuff. And keep an eye out for the next episode on this, my mission to bring the theory of team and leadership development to life. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.